The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Good morning. How is everybody? I love the energy this morning. Who else here is feeling that energy this morning? Oh yeah, that's awesome. It has been a fantastic morning already. This morning, if you're new here, we are so glad that you are here. If you're joining us for the first time this morning in a little while because life, well, we're still going through the book of James. And today I get the privilege of wrapping up James chapter 4. So if you want to be on the same page when you come back next week, you can spend this week going back and listening to those messages I promise you two things. One, you won't regret it. And two, you will be blessed by hearing those messages. Last week's message, well, if you haven't heard it, your soul needs to hear it. If you were here, that amen was sincere. So the Lord is doing a great work as we work through his word. Now, this morning is an interesting passage that we're going to be in because this morning we're faced with a question, a question I think many of us have encountered in our lives, and that question is, what is your life? What is your life? Well, I'm going to tell you some technical things about your life, and we're going to talk about some spiritual aspects that relate to that. So what is your life? So just so you know, your life is about 4,000 weeks. Some of you hear that and you're like, man, I don't have that many weeks left. Some of you are like, golly, that's a long time. You all are old. 4,000 weeks. 4,000 weeks is a number that they have come to. And in that conclusion, they have determined that That is a good average if you take the globe, over 7 billion people, and the average lifespan across all of those variances, 4,000 weeks. James is asking us today, what is your life? He's reminding us that it is a vapor. We're going to see that it is something that is here and gone. It's very transient. It's very fragile. It's very frail. And yet, as we learned Last week, we are so quick, so quick to be adulterous in telling Jesus our Savior that he cannot have the affections of our heart. We want to say so quickly to the one who bled and died on our behalf to absorb the wrath of God, sorry, we've only got 4,000 weeks. We don't got room for you. That's what we do with that little bit of time that we got. And we want to make more of that People are afraid. Has anyone here ever met someone who is afraid of dying? Anybody? Most hands are up. That's something that people fear. You know what's amazing? Christian, you don't have to fear death. It doesn't matter when, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how, you're going to be with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, death is a scary thing because hell is a guarantee. That's a reality. So there's a guy, most of us are pretty familiar with him. His name's Jeff Bezos, and he, uh, he started this whole thing called Amazon. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I know you're all familiar. <laughs> it's what you wrap your Christmas presents in, those boxes. 
He says, he says, I've solved the problem. I just haven't figured out the last part of the equation. And in reading him a little bit this last week, his plan is that he's got so many billions of dollars that he is going to utilize the billions of dollars in science and he is going to overcome death. And he will be the example of what an immortal being is like. But he's bald. So I can't really tell you that I'm willing to follow that guy. I, I don't know about, about you. The other thing that happens so often is, okay, that's death. We don't want to be afraid of death. But who here would say that sometimes the future, just the unknown of the future, is a little frightening? Man, I mean, it's almost like we have the word of God from the mouth of God on the throne of God saying, I have a plan for you, but, you know, can't trust that if he's not in the rightful place in our hearts. So instead, what do we do? You're probably familiar with horoscopes. Maybe you dabble with worse things like tarot cards. Maybe you're going to go to the fortune teller with the crystal ball who wants to steal your money. Because why would we go to the word of God, which is the truth of God, which has been verified year after year, century after century, millennia have come and gone and the word of God stands true. But we're going to go to somebody who works for the devil and tell them to tell us about our future when they've never met Jesus. That's what we do when we're afraid of the future. That's what happens when we don't have the right frame of mind. That is what James is so concerned about. You see, we don't need a rich fool's money. We have the blood-bought guarantee of our king. That's why James is where James is. We're going to begin in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17 today. And I want to read these to you, and I want to read them to you together, and then look at them a little bit broken apart. Boasting about tomorrow may be the heading in your Bible. Come now. We'll talk about that phrase. It's only used twice in the whole New Testament. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this, as, this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. James is warning of the presumption of oneself and one's power and one's ability to determine what will be the trajectory of their life. We see this in our world all the time. We are bombarded over and over. You're the captain of your own ship. You're the person in charge of your own destiny. You're the one that's responsible. Everything terminates on you. A fragile, finite, tiny-minded, tiny-hearted little person. And Jesus has come and said, I died. I absorbed the wrath of Almighty God for your sin. And I'm not asking. I'm telling you. I belong on the throne of your heart. 
And I will answer those questions for you. I will give you a peace that passes understanding. But no, we want to live in the arrogance of our presumption on ourselves. And James doesn't want that to be the case for those that are dispersed. He doesn't want that to be the case of those who have encountered Jesus and then have chosen to walk away. As we've covered a lot over the last several weeks, James is the brother of Jesus. One of the brothers of Jesus who was like, nope, he ain't who he says he was or is. Or I don't know. He's got these weird personalities. He's schizophrenic. He's odd. We actually see in the text that his brothers say he's beside himself, which means he has a totally different personality. He's not okay. And then the resurrection happened. Changes minds, changes hearts. He's aware that there are those that are in his midst that will just simply say, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to make a profit. We've made primary the possession and the pursuit of money and things, and we've made small the glorification of Jesus Christ in our life. Ever been faced with that battle? I would love to go on this mission trip, but man, I got to give up all that vacation. I would love to serve at my church. I would love to help people in the community. I'd love to take the gospel to those in need. But man, my coworkers would not let me hear the end of it. See, we say in ourselves, we're going to go to such and such a place and we're going to stay there for a year and we're going to turn a profit. That's not actually taking the will of God into consideration at all. Now, I want to be abundantly clear We're actually not being told here at all that planning is wrong. Anybody here make plans? Anybody here have calendar alerts that pop up on your phone? I get scheduled into a lot of meetings at work and they tend to frown on me if I'm not there on time. Especially when I'm the one that scheduled it. (laughs) So I have this special device that's in my back pocket right now called a phone And it sends me alert 15 minutes before and then five minutes before a meeting when I schedule the meeting so that I can be on the time. And usually I'm on time. We plan our lives. Planning is wise, but we need to plan in view of God. Proverbs teaches us about planning and why it is wise. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant. The writer of Proverbs always sees the ant as wise. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Again, Proverbs 21, 4 through 6. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Maybe it sounds a little familiar from the passage we read in James. How often are you bombarded in that same, you're in control of your life, you're in control of your own destiny, but hey, I've got a way for you to get rich quick. Man, you can be an entrepreneur and it's all on you. And I made millions, six-figure income in 12 weeks. If you do what I do, you'll be where I am. I am the epitome of what you should be. 
and just cover shipping. That's the world we live in. That's the world we face. And, and we're, we're followers of Jesus Christ who came and lived a sinless life. He walked among us and he showed us the way. And he says to us over and over again, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. James in verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Life like fog is very brief. Have you ever gone into work, you've been driving in, and the fog is incredibly heavy, traffic is slow, it's always awful, especially if you're leaving St. Charles County. I don't like traffic, that's not clear. You go to work, you do the work, you have the day, you come back home, and on the way to work, in the fog, oh, it's so foggy, why is everybody driving so bad? You go home. How was work today? It was all right. How was your drive-in? Oh, I guess it was good. Wait, what? That's how fast we forget. That's how fast life is forgotten. That's how quickly 4,000 weeks disappears when we don't make God the priority. The Bible reminds us over and over about how transient we are. Psalms 39, 5 and 6, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. My lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Got to get the money, got to get the money, got to get the money, got to get the stuff, got to get the stuff, got to get the stuff, got to get the stuff. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather Job 6, 7, 6 to 7a, make my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath. My life is a breath. This year has been a particularly unique year, and the last handful of years have been unique in my life as a reminder of how brief life is. It's just been a very few years ago, a very dear friend of mine passed away suddenly. I knew her from the time she was born. She was one of the absolute favorite kids I had when I was in children's ministry. She was... A delight in every way, a blooming songwriter, beautifully talented, unbelievably capable, instrument after instrument. And I get a phone call, hey, pray for Rachel. She's not doing well. She has a fever that won't go away. Three days later, I get a phone call, she's gone. 24 years old, no one knows why. The doctors couldn't figure out even how to treat her. There's nothing wrong with her. Fast forward. January of this year. A man who has shaped my life in more ways than perhaps almost any other man. I sat down with him. It was my grandpa. And at Christmas, I sat with him. And we talked. He's a farmer. 
He was doing great. We talked about the history of his farm. We talked about all of those things. And then in January, I get the phone call. Hey, pray for grandpa. He's not doing very well. Around three o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. Grandpa's on his way to the hospital. Don't know how things are going to go. He's not doing great. Just a very few hours later in the early hours of the morning. He went to be with his Savior. 4,000 weeks was up. What is your life? What are you chasing? What are your pursuits? Well, you know, I'm not here to make it emotional. I just love my grandpa. But what I learned from my grandpa and what I saw in testimony is a man who understood what the pursuit was about. Never have I met a man who came from meager, meager beginnings, dirt floor kind of houses to giving houses away. That was my grandpa. He would tell us as grandkids, we need to think about who we can bless more because it's all God's. Over and over and over and over again in my life, I watched this man and his generosity. And why? What has Jesus done for me? What has Jesus done for you? See, John, he wants us to understand this as well. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We need to be deliberate in placing all of our focus on the obedience to the will of God. That is critical. The will of God is a focal point of the passage that James is sharing to the believers, his original readers, James 4, 15 to 16. Instead, you ought to say, so in case you sit there today and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to figure it out. James covered that for you. Instead, you ought to say, okay, that's a place to begin. He's going to begin pulling on words. Words are a powerful thing. Words matter. He, he mentions it in James 1. He pounds on it in James 3. He doesn't let go of it in James 4. And he's going to talk about it again in James 5. Our words matter. They help orient us. Why? Because out of our heart, our mouth speaks. Who should be on the throne of our heart? Jesus, not ourselves. That's the truth. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. All such boasting is evil. God should infuse every aspect of our lives. Psalms 143.10, the psalmist understands. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Matthew 6, 10. Jesus, how do we pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 1 Peter 4, verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. We'll go here or there to make a profit. No, no, no. 
but for the will of God. For the will of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then, I love this story. It's, it's Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is being cornered and, and questioned about his family. And this moment must be something that I believe in the life of James is forever etched in his mind. Because they're asking Jesus a question and they're answering on behalf of Jesus that he's crazy. He's not who he says he was, as I mentioned earlier. And Jesus says these words in Mark chapter 335 in the presence of his brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What does that mean? What does it mean to do the will of God? Well, that's surrender and obedience. That's choosing not to be the adulterous person we learned about last week who is robbing the affection of Jesus Christ by putting him off of the throne of the heart, giving yourself away, being very Blunt and vulgar with the reality that you've dismissed Jesus. Following the will of God is saying, I surrender all. I surrender all to you. All to you because I know that you have the best for me. And Jesus says, you will be my brother. The reigning king of kings, seated in glory, has invited you to be called his brother and sister. Anybody here ever known anybody famous? I see some hands, some nods. You're in a general conversation. Maybe it's a work activity, something like that. Conversation comes around to it. Maybe it's related to sports, music, movies. Oh, I know. And you mention that you know someone who's famous. Now you're a star, aren't you? <laughs> oh, can you connect me? We want to do connections. Connections matter. Look me up on LinkedIn. Here's my Instagram handle. Oh, man, yeah. What about Jesus? What if you were in that same crowd and said, hey, I've got to tell you about my brother. He's amazing. It is so awesome. It is incredible. Wait till you hear what he did. You think people have kind of started to give you some attention? Yeah, let me hear about it. Tell me about it. My brother is Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It says that he holds the world together, that through him we were created. How majestic. You know what their response is? You're a clown. You know what our response is? Amen. Let me tell you more. The reality is Jesus has said who is his brother and sister and mother, those who do the will of God. James did not want to see us fall like the rich ruler in Luke 12. Jesus speaking here, he told the parable saying, The land of the rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, what did he say? He said, so he used words. What did we see in James? They said, we will go. We will make words are important. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say, soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. What does God have to say to those who say to him, you don't matter? Your will is insignificant to me. I, I am in charge of my own destiny. Leave me alone, God. This man has more to offer than you do. He can make me famous. He can get me more followers. If I go after him, I get lots of the little hearts clicked on my pictures. And that makes me so important. Other people want to be like me when I have lots of clicks and followers. I'm an influencer. Garbage. God says you're a fool. If that is your idea, if that is who you think you are, and you have discounted and disregarded God, he answers you here. This night, your soul... Is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? We just read about this in the Old Testament just a few verses ago. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Over and over and over, the theme of Jesus is saying, Store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says to us, you are my treasure. All I desire is to be yours. You are mine and I am yours. John chapter 15. He is so clear, so clear of where our priorities should lie, what we should treasure and how we should treasure it. But instead, 401k is looking good. Man, you know, Elon, he bought Twitter so he can fix everything. The conservatives can applaud and have their happy day. He's going to do a split here in a couple of months. And man, I'm going to get rich off of that. I'm going to own more Tesla stock. Oh, yeah. What would God have you do with that money? Because there's missionaries that are a part of this church in the Honduras that could use that money. There's missionaries that are a part of this church that are trying to reach those who are being robbed and stolen from their own households, children and women in India who are being utterly mistreated and they're taking the hope of the gospel. And you know what it takes to do that? Money. Where is your treasure going to be? Are you going to count on that Bezos guy? Bezos or Bozo, either one. Hey, the reality is that stock looks great. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying if it's your priority, if it comes first, that's the problem. That's the problem. Romans 12, 2, we've already looked at it. There's a translator. His name is Phillips. I love the way he takes a piece of that verse, and it's something I think we need to hang on to. He says it like this. Don't let the world around you Squeeze you into its own mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Christian, if you look at your life and you look at the world and they match more than they don't, you're fitting the wrong mold. We should learn to boast 
not in arrogance, but as Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We sang about it this morning already. Hallelujah. May Jesus be made much in my life because I can't do it. In James 14 through 16, he's bringing a conclusion to the things that he has picked on and pointed at by and large throughout chapters 1 through 4. The sin that he's called out from discrimination to prejudice to the neglect of the needy to backbiting and fighting among the church. And he's going to end this section with a maxim of their day. It strikes with a sharp point so as to leave a mark. It is agreed upon across all the commentators, which is a shocking thing when you study commentators that they actually agree. Because they have their opinions on things. But they agree that this was a common saying among the dispersed believers of that time. James 4.17 So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. How often do we know the right thing to do and fail to do it? How often... Do we sin? Grace. There's much grace. This is a sin of omission and sin of commission, both being present here. I believe maybe in mind is something like we might read about in Luke chapter 18, another rich man. You'll notice over and over, this causes conflict with wealth. This causes conflict with human influence. This is challenging things like us, believers in the West, we're so, so wealthy, comparatively. Luke 18, 18 through 23, and a ruler asked him, this is Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. He knew them. That excuse is gone. Same for you here today. You know you know, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus said to him, there's a lot of words here. When Jesus said to him, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure where? In heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely what? Rich. It may not be money. Your bank account may not be stack on stack on stack on stack. It may be stuff. It may be that you have to have a different outfit for every day of the week. It might be that you have to have something to present the costume that you're playing in when you interact with other people because you're afraid of showing your real self and being vulnerable because you don't trust Jesus Christ. Take those things off. Lay them at the feet of Jesus. He has said that he loves you. He says, come follow me. Imagine what it would be like to obey this is the only story in the Gospels where a man comes to Jesus 
and leave sad. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people of the day. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, you're children of your father, the devil, because Jesus was really friendly. You know, the tone police, they loved him. He was so kind. No, he said the truth the way the truth needed to be said, with boldness. He interacted with them and he corrected them because they had this deistic morality that said if you're good enough, if you do the right thing well enough, then, you know, you're good. And if you're good enough at playing the part and being the actor, people will follow you. And that's what I'm after. No, not at all. Jesus never once condoned the stupidity of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their religious moralism. Never once. What he did do, he said over and over, come follow me. Stop sinning and come follow me. Did he tell you that in order to do that, you had to have the right length robe? No. Did he tell you that in order to follow me, you have to have a certain amount of money in the bank because I'm going to need you to make sure I don't go without lunch? No. You know what he said? He said, come follow me. You know what they did? 5,000 plus followed him just to hear him teach. Nobody brought food. Where's the planning there? I am as guilty as anyone. This was poorly done. The execution was terrible. We could have done so much better. My goodness, if you'd have talked to me, I would have made this perfect. Because look at me, I'm so amazingly failing. Because what did Jesus know? Because he is God. Feed them. Jesus thought of the need. Jesus was aware of the need. Jesus knew what was important. He said to his disciples, feed these people. The disciples looked at him like, but, 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 but. Where are you right now? Who do you need to have in your home for a meal? Who do you need to take care of? Where do you need to take somebody that you know can't afford it, but they got to have tires? What did Jesus say? He said, well, go ask. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine being the apostles, the disciples at this time? There's over 5,000 people. They've been with Jesus a long time. They've been listening to him. And they're saying, hey, bring any food hey you got any dollar bills can I use your donkey (laughs) Jesus knew what was up Jesus sees every one of your hearts today right now and they found who a little boy hey I've got some food why because he had a mama who cared could, could, could the master have that? Now, I don't know about you. I've got a three-year-old who's almost four. Sharing is not his first response. <laughs> We're working on that. Absolutely. But what would it be when Jesus has offered us that same invitation and the request is for our hearts The request is for our hearts. The little boy said, sure. Jesus had them instruct and sit down. What did he do? He prayed and he said, thank you. What is Jesus doing for you right now? He never ceases to intercede on your behalf before the throne of God. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> a couple of loaves of bread, a few fish, a little boy's lunch, thousands of people fed. And we want to argue about whether or not we should give money to mission or to our 401k. <laughs> Man, I don't like it when the Bible preaches back to me while I'm talking to you. <laughs> makes it uncomfortable. Jesus said it real simple. I love that Jesus makes things simple. He knows we were sheep. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. James, he saw his brother. He saw the commands. He knew what to do and he didn't do it. He dismissed it. And now he doesn't want anybody to ever live with what he had to live with, with what the reality that he was wrong. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to move into a time of reflection, a time of worship. It's a time for you to interact with Jesus. It's not about show. It's not about being emotionally charged. It's not about you feeling like, oh man, this was so heavy. I've got to do something. It's about you having an honest conversation with Jesus and asking him, Lord, what am I holding on to? What do I need to let go of and put in your hands? Where do I need to lay something down at your feet? There are some decisions that you know you need to do, but you're not doing them. The first one I would say is the step. You hear us talk about steps here at LifePoint. Steps matter. Steps are in a direction. That direction is obedience. The steps that we ask you to take and that obedience we're asking you to, to have and show is towards Jesus. It's not about life point. But we want to encourage you to take those steps so we can come around you and celebrate that with you. And the first one would be to let Jesus have the rightful place in your heart, to surrender your life to Jesus. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. That is step one. Step two might be for you. You're here today and you're like, I've done it. I've given my heart away. Does the watching world know? Because one of the ways in which we are taught by Jesus himself to demonstrate that which was occurring inside that is now happening outside is the act of baptism. You have an opportunity today to make the step along with us to say, I, I need to be baptized. We would love to invite you to take that step. We would love to come around you. We have a baptism service coming up very soon. And I can tell you, you won't see LifePoint throw a party like you see us throw a party when we rejoice in baptism. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this sounds so good. This sounds so good. I, I belong to Jesus. I've been baptized. But I've never been with a body that's on mission. I've never belonged to a people who are so committed to Jesus that they will say yes to Jesus and no to the world. Well, I can tell you right now, as one of the pastors of this church, that's who we are. We're saying no to the world and yes to Jesus every day. We would love for you to join us on mission. Maybe it's not practical steps that are so simple like that. Maybe you're here today and you're wrestling other things. Maybe you're afraid to share the hope of the gospel. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're interacting with the cashier and you feel that prompt, the server, the waitress, the co-worker, ah, not today, Jesus. 
He who knows what he ought to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. Withholding the hope of Jesus Christ on purpose is not only sinful, it's cruel. You all have that opportunity. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but they haven't earned it. What did you do to earn the cross? Not a thing. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you smell of a grudge that is rotted in your emotional pocket. And it's time to get clean of that grudge and offer forgiveness and let Jesus do what Jesus does. Because there's some, there's some beauty in the work of being washed in the blood. There's some beauty in being reminded of who you are in him. This list could go on and on. You're smart people. I trust you'll respond to the Holy Spirit. But I'm asking you, I'm closing with this. However many of the 4,000 weeks you have left, please don't waste them chasing the world. I love you guys.